0: let's start with a quiz don't get anxious about anything there's no pass or fail in this quiz but let's see if you can get some of the right answers and you can answer out loud first what kind of uniform is called a fatigue it's a military or army uniform okay it's gonna get a little bit harder what kind of uniform has both a water tank and an oxygen tank in it it's an astronaut Okay. What kind of uniform includes a scapular? Uh, usually that's by priests or monks. Maybe me and Craig could be a little bit more classy and wear those next time. What kind of uniform includes a smoke pot? That's for beekeepers. Now, you may have gotten all of those right or none of them right, but as soon as you see the images of these uniforms, you recognize what those people do and what their job is. We use uniforms all the time, whether it's in big ways or in little ways. Like imagine if you went to the hospital because you had broken your leg and all of a sudden somebody comes in with military fatigues on and a bulletproof vest and a gun on their back and they started looking at your leg. You might stand back and say, no, I want the real doctor. Or say your your kid's just learning how to swim and you look at the lifeguard, but it's not a lifeguard. It's somebody in a firefighter u- uniform with an axe at their side and, and wearing all their heavy equipment. You're like, I don't think that person's going to be able to swim and save my kid. Uniforms can be useful, and they also can be used to stereotype people in negative ways. But these uniforms, we see people and their roles, their jobs, and what they do and how the way they live their lives. Today we're going to read from Paul and see what kind of uniform that he invites Christians to wear and how we are supposed to wear the uniform of Jesus. Let's read from Ephesians 4:17 to 19. So I tell you this, and insist in it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over sensuality, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. Now, this actually starts by referencing Ephesians 4.1 which says, live a life worthy of the calling. And, it, and that is referencing everything that the first three chapters of Ephesians has talked about and the way that Jesus has died for us and he's given us life and a new identity and we're new creatures in him and we have his inheritance and his power and his grace in our lives. So in Ephesians 4.1 it says, live according to this. And 17 he's saying, but if you're living according to that, you're not going to live as the Gentiles do. Paul's so emphatic about it that he says he insists that we do this. And he's, he's emphatic about it because we as believers can choose to live this way or not. He wouldn't insist on it if it was something that automatically happened. It's a choice that we make to live like Jesus or to live as Gentiles, as he puts it. Now, Gentiles literally means uh, any race that is not a Jew. But he's not talking about a racial a choice here. He's talking about the popular culture of his day. Because in Ephesus, there would have been people who were Gentiles, and probably actually most of the congregation there were Gentiles. But Paul's using it kind of as, as the popular culture. If he was writing to us, he'd probably say, don't live like a Canadian. Don't live like a Westerner. And as he's doing this, he's saying, you need to separate yourself from what the world is calling you to live, and to live as Jesus does. Because as Christians, we are called to live differently. And as we're called to live differently, it it may seem crazy to other people. Because to be honest, some of the beliefs we have are a little bit crazy. Like we believe God became a human. And then as that human, he chose to die. We believe that we don't even have to look out for ourselves, but we can sacrificially love others. Because we believe that God is in control and he'll care for us. even though, And so we don't have to care for ourselves all the time. There's these beliefs that we have that, that as they, we understand them and realize who God is, it can seem like the lights come on. Paul says that, those, that Gentiles are those who are darkened in their understanding. Have you ever played Pictionary and, and you knew the answer, but nobody else knew the answer? And you're like, why can't they get it? It's so simple. And then when people understand what the answer is, they get it right away. It's like the lights are flipped on. And as soon as you know the answer, you know the answer. But it seems like nothing you can do can ever get the people who don't know the answer to actually know the answer. This is what Paul's talking about here is that, that those who are Gentiles or not believers are darkened in their understanding and they don't understand God, they don't understand the world in the same way we do, so they live completely differently. Now for those of you here who may not be followers of Jesus, they may, this may actually uh, seem offensive to you and I, I understand that. And you probably think that we're the ones in the dark and we're the ones that need the lights turned on for us. And, and I understand that too. But I invite you to explore Christianity. to see, is Jesus who he really says he was? Do we, is what we believe true? Because if it's true, it's life-changing and it can give us the abundant life that God offers. And, and you may think that Christians live in a weird, different way. And the reason we, believe, we live this way is because of the way. God has called us to because of who he is and what he's done for us because because who we are as Christians we're not better than anybody else what we realize is that we need God's help in Romans three twenty three, it says that for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory so we as Christians aren't better we didn't turn on the lights for ourselves God did it for us and we submit to him and surrender to him and as a result We can live differently than our culture. Because if Jesus isn't real, if God isn't real, then the most logical thing to do is to give yourselves over to sensuality and to indulge yourself in every kind of impurity like Paul is talking about. Because if God isn't going to give us satisfaction, if God isn't going to give us the longings of our hearts that we desire in our deep core, then you're going to have to get those things for yourself. So as a non-believer, I totally understand you pursuing these things. But for those of us who are Christians, we know that the, the longings of our heart is nothing in this world. It is something that only God can give. Jim Carrey once said, I wish everyone could experience being rich and famous so they see it wasn't the answer to anything. The things of this world, richness and popularity, won't give us what we long for. Randy Alcorn said, you have been made for a person and a place. That person is Jesus and that place is heaven. Anything else in this world is just a small glimpse of what we long for, the small glimpse of, of who God is and the life that He gives to us in such abundant ways as we continually pursue Him, submit, and surrender to Him and grow closer to Him in our Christian faith. And nothing will satisfy us and that's why Paul finishes this section by saying Section by saying that they are full of greed. Now, this greed isn't just towards money. It's about all of the selfish indulgences that we go for, the the desires and the passions and the, the ways that we try to find goodness and life and joy apart from God. There's greed because it will never satisfy us. No amount of money, no amount of popularity, no amount of power will ever give us the longings of our heart that only Jesus offers because Jesus is the key he's the center of our Christianity and in verse 20 to 21 it says that however is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus the start of this passage says to take off the old and don't live like the Gentiles and the end will tell us what to put on and how to live a godly life but in the center it talks about the center of our faith and it's Jesus Twice in these two verses, it says to be in him and in Jesus. Our relationship is relying on him and his work, his death on the cross, has given us an opportunity to be connected with him, to have a personal relationship with him. The original Greek is actually kind of an awkward sentence. It says that you learned Jesus. It's not something that we normally say, that you learned this person. But it's implying that we don't just learn facts. We don't just learn about what happened to Jesus, which are important, but we can actually have a personal relationship with him. If I learned my wife, I might know some things about her that she doesn't even realize. Or I may be able to to love her and help her before she even says words that I've just gotten so close to her that I've learned her. That's the kind of intimacy that Jesus is inviting us into as we connect with him, as we submit to him, as we believe in him. And because we are in Christ, we don't have to be of the world. Because we are in Christ, we don't have to be of the world. And that's where Paul goes in the last few verses, in verses 22 to 24, he says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul is inviting us to first take off the old, to be made new, and then to put on the new. This sentiment is actually throughout Paul's letters to the different churches in the New Testament, uh, one of which is in Romans 6.6, where he says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might, might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Our old self, as believers who have trusted in Jesus' crucifixion, that our old self has died with him. And now we no longer have to live according to our sinful desires. We no longer have to live according to the passions of our flesh or indulge ourselves like Paul talks about in Ephesians 4. We have been freed so we can live differently. Imagine being put in a straight jacket. And, and that's the sin in our lives. We are captivated by it. We are enslaved by it. And we can't do anything about it until we put our faith in Jesus. And as we put our faith in him, he unlocks the straitjacket. How ridiculous would it be if we chose to still live in the straitjacket? If we still chose to try to eat cereal in the morning with a straitjacket on or, or put our pants on with a straitjacket on? It, it might be uncomfortable to take off the straitjacket because we're so used to it. It might even be a little bit painful to to live and move in a different way because we haven't done it before. But Jesus has freed us from our sin. And it may be hard to live in a new way. It may be different. We may not know what's going to happen. But as we trust in him that there's a better way to live without the enslavement to sin, we can live a life that is more abundant than he imagined. That we can be free from our sin as we take off the old way of life. And then be made new. We are, be, we are made new, and that's not something that we can do ourselves. It's something that, that God does for us. You can't make yourself new. It's him doing it for us. And this is a process. It can take time. It doesn't seem like it happens right away like we often wish it would happen. One instance of this happening for me is one year I decided that I wanted to have more peace in my life. You may resonate with this because I was running from place to place, exhausted, always trying to be as efficient as possible, and I just lacked peace in my inner being. And throughout the year, I wasn't seeing any progress. I wasn't noticing anything different about me. But one day, I was driving down the road, and I was approaching a stoplight. And after the stoplight, just a couple blocks later, I was going to have to turn left. At the stoplight, there was a lot of cars in the left lane and very few in the right lane. So my decision was to move in the right lane, to pass a bunch of cars, and then have to merge pretty quickly back into the left lane to turn left. But in that instant, I thought, you know what? My peace is more important than passing those cars. Now, this wasn't a logical thought that came to me after I decided it over time. It was an instant thing that God had been working on me. God had been making me new to be more peaceful, even in the midst of traffic. Some of the changes in the being made new that happens isn't gonna happen overnight, and you may not even notice it, but as we continually submit, surrender, and invite God to work in us, that can happen. God is making us new, not just giving us a tune-up, but he's building a whole new engine. It may seem like it's piece by piece at the time, but as we submit to him as our mechanic instead of trying to fix ourselves, he can make us into a new creation that lives differently what we ever imagined and after, so we've, after we've taken off the old and, and we're made new we can put on the new verse 24 says it this way to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness that is a preposterous statement let me read it in just a slightly different way you are able to put on a new self you were created to be like God. You were created to live in true righteousness. You were created to be holy. So instead of living like the world, we can be like God. And that's what he's inviting us here with in in true righteousness and true holiness. Now, being righteous is is this moral perfection. It's more than just being a good person. Uh, D.W. Deal says it this way, it's an eternally perfect standard of what is right. That's what God is inviting us into. That is how God is inviting us to live. live. You can't do that by yourself. Maybe you can be a good person by yourself, but you can't reach this eternally perfect standard by yourself, but God is inviting you to be made new and to put on that new self. And not only that, called to righteousness, God has also called us to holiness. Now, holiness is a is a similar saying, it also talks about uh, having a moral perfection in it, but it also includes being set apart. That you're different than what the rest of the world is. That there's something different about you, that, that it's almost like you don't belong here. And in other parts of the New Testament it calls Christians and believers aliens or ambassadors living in a foreign land that he has called us to live. Set apart for him God called uh, the people in the Old Testament in Leviticus eleven forty four to 45 God says tells the people to be holy as I am holy but again and again they fail they try to do it from their own work They try to do it from their own self-discipline and their own self-righteousness and again and again they fail and just like that if we're trying to do it on our own we too will fail And we'll fail either by becoming so exhausted in trying to do everything right that we quit, or we'll fail by becoming too proud, too self-righteous, and in the end becoming unloving and, and more in love with ourselves than we are in love with God. But in Ezekiel, God tells us how we can have a new way of life and how we can actually live this out. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your flesh of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I think Paul was thinking about this verse when he wrote Ephesians 4 because he talks about a hardened and a calloused heart. But here he's inviting believers to get to receive a new spirit from God. That we can't do it in our own works, that we can't do it by following laws and rules, but by surrendering and submitting to God. We can be free from the domination of sin in our lives and live differently now throughout this this passage and, and through the talk there's kind of this this tension between something has already happened and something not yet has happening. like in Romans 6 6 it says that our old self is crucified it's dead it's gone but here in Ephesians 4 Paul's talking about taking it off taking off the old self Uh, In other passages, it talks about dying to yourself daily. So if something's completely dead and gone, how is it that we actually have to take it off? Or why would we have to take it off? And there's this already and yet not yet part of the kingdom of God. One way that I can explain it is if you're hired to a, a new company. And as soon as you're part of that company, you are an employee of that company and you're identified with that company. But the longer you're there, the more you'll learn and the more you'll actually embody what that company is. At first, you might learn simple things like how to write an email or how to communicate and, and the, the ways to actually operate. But as you grow more with the company, you might actually start to talk like some of the other people in the company and, and become like the, the values they have and to act the way that they want you to act at that company. It's even more true with Christianity as, as we already are part of God's kingdom, and yet we haven't quite figured out how to w- live that way yet. And he'll continually work in us to be more and more like him, so we can take off the old, be made new, and put on the new." Imagine being dirty and and coming in from outside uh, after working a long time in the garden, in the mud, and and maybe you're feeling sticky and you're feeling like uh, you just want to take off your clothes because you're cold and it's kind of like hard to move your muscles because you even feel like the dirt all over you. How ridiculous would it be if you went inside and started cleaning? Or if you just sat on the couch and started watching TV? Some of you may feel anxious just thinking about that. But what we want to do is we want to go inside, take off our old clothes, take a hot shower and put on the new. And that's what Christ is inviting us into as followers of Jesus, as the lights have come on for us, as he's enlightened us to live out the way that he has called us to. Because we as Christians have a uniform too. Our uniform is to be like Jesus and so that others can see him through us 1st uh, Peter 2 9 says it this way you are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light we are a grouping of people who are called to live differently Throughout Ephesians 4, it says the word you, but it's actually a plural you. So maybe another way to say it would be you all are supposed to take off the old. You all are supposed to be made new, and you all are supposed to put on the new. We have a group identity that we are called to live differently than the world. That means the excuse that everybody does it doesn't work for us. The excuse that everybody uses foul language at my work or negative language at my work. Everybody gossips, so that's why I do it too. Or, or everybody uh, treats their sexual integrity this way in one way or another, so why can't I do it? Or everybody acts this way when somebody disagrees with them on social media, so why shouldn't I do it? We are called as Christians to live differently. One example of this is actually uh, in a past uh, elders meeting, we were talking about COVID uh, restrictions and how we as a church can move forward. Now, on our elders board and staff, we have people kind of all over the, the spectrum of what we believe about COVID on one side or the other. And throughout that conversation, it was a really good conversation. But afterwards, I was talking with one person who was on one side of the equation. And, and he said afterwards, he's like, you know what? I should call the person on the other side to check in on them to care for them, to see how they're doing, and, and almost to, to make amends. In that moment, he was choosing to love that other individual. And he was choosing that his Jesus uniform of love is more important than his COVID uniform and his beliefs on COVID. We need to act more like this as we interact with our work and as we interact with those we love, as we interact with our neighbors to show Jesus to others, both individually and as a group. We're currently in a series on unity, so we are supposed to put on our uniforms together, all acting in the same way because our group identity is important. In their book on spiritual formation, uh, Jim Wilder and Michael Hendricks say, in order to improve our behavior, we need to change our values and update our stored examples of how our people act. We cannot change our values directly We must get them from our community, our group identity. I need a Christ-centered, loving community to help me act more like Jesus. Friends, we are a people who are growing closer together. And if more of our identity is coming from the world, the way that we are going to grow more like him as we get closer together with people who love each other, who care for each other, who live like God rather than live like Canadians, like Westerners, like the Gentiles, as as Paul says. We are called to live out this way. You are holy, you are righteous, and we as a church are the embodiment of God in our community. A few years ago, we as a church uh, looked at some things of what's our uniform? What are some important things for us to act to be like God in the way that we treat each other and in our world around us? Now, we called it our prayer action plan, but in a way, it's almost like our uniform as a church of of who are we. Now, we are a lot more than than these statements, but these are a great start for us as we choose on how to live today and how we interact with people. So these statements are going to be below me on the screen. I'm going to invite you to say them out loud uh, as I say them. So the first one, we welcome and obey the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our church. We speak life-giving words to each other. We build each other up in love. We refuse divisive conversations. We listen with humility to understand. We clothe ourselves in humility toward one another in love. And we give up the right to take offense. How are you building up your stored examples of these things living up? The, the times that you see others around you living these out so that you can live them too. I encourage you to be part of a life-giving community where you see people. Hopefully people who are more mature, more farther down the spiritual journey than you, but hopefully people that aren't and that they can see you live out that Christ, that Jesus uniform in your life in the way you live. Because we are called to put on the uniform of Jesus as we're called to stand out together. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that for what Jesus has done for us, that he has died for us and you've given us the potential to to take off the old, to be freed from our sin and to receive life. I pray that we would show our community your goodness and your love by the way we treat each other, by the way we treat them, by the way we love, by the way we can sacrificially give of ourselves because you have given yourself to us. I pray for each of us this week that we would take off the old and put on the uniform that you have given us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.